Welcome to the Real Life Enlightenment Podcast, a highly imperfect podcast full of ideas that we have found to be enlightening, intersharing with the hope that it will, in turn, bless someone else's life too. Hello everyone, this is Emily and I have Ashley here with me. We're going to continue talking on this episode. I'm I'm always excited for these episodes. <laughs> but likewise. We're going to continue talking about some of our takeaways from chapters five and six of The Explosive Child by Ross Green. Um, a little bit of just review of what we've already talked about on previous episodes. Episode six, we um, covered the first few chapters uh, that conventional wisdom believes that challenging behavior is learned, that it's intentional, that children that are exploding are doing it maybe to be manipulative or get their way, um, and that they're choosing to do it, which I definitely, um, that kept me in a really bad place in my mind as a mom for years. Um, Dr. Green promotes the belief that the child exhibits challenging behavior screaming, hitting, fits, etc. Um, more like instead of just because he's trying to manipulate, um, because he or she lacks the skills to deal with certain situations. Then in episode eight, we delved a little bit more into what those lagging skills might be. What exactly is that ability that the child is lacking to behave in a, in a more desirable way? Right, and how to identify those lagging skills and then determine where they tend to show up. Uh, Dr. Green provides a wonderful worksheet. We linked it in episode eight and I'll try to link it again in the show notes for this episode. It's called the ALSUP, A-L-S-U-P, <laughs> Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems. Um, and that was a really, um, it's been really eye-opening for me as I've been going through and trying to think, okay, why is my child acting like this? Like, what's the root cause of this? Um, that's been great, but today we're gonna go a little bit further. And once we know our children are doing their best um, and they're just need some more help with abilities, we're going to go into how to help them with those lagging skills. Okay. All right. Well, I have an example that I wanted to share um, that goes along with this. One of the lagging skills that I identified with one of our children um, is, well, actually with numerous of our kids in my family, is um, difficulty expressing concerns, needs, or thoughts in words. And so this manifests oftentimes as three of our five kids are, um, they get really hangry really fast. And it's like they don't realize they're hungry until it just hits them even if they've had, like, I might not realize it because they've had a snack sometime recently, but maybe it wasn't enough. And when it hits them, it's kind of like this incredible Hulk just comes out and they are not just like, oh, I'm hungry. It's just like, they are hangry through the roof. Like they have to have food right then. And so I've got multiple kids with the same lagging skill (laughs) and unsolved problem. Yes, it's, it's very common. Probably people listening can relate as well. Um, so this happened with a, a certain child of mine and we were, I was driving 
with um, several of my kids in the car. And it was one of those days where we're just going from thing to thing. And I really couldn't go home. There wouldn't be enough time and transitions are pretty rough. So we were just staying in the car until we needed to pick up one of my other kids from somewhere. And I really didn't realize the hangry was setting in. I kind of think that I might know it by now and recognize it and be prepared, but I wasn't. So this happened and um, it was like meltdown, screaming, anger. Like you could tell that the amygdala part of the brain had just totally taken over. Um, There wasn't really reasoning that could be had. It was just big, big emotions. And so I pulled over and it was a Friday night. And sometimes on Friday nights, we get pizza and do a family movie night. So I just said, well, I'm just going to order some pizza. And um, I started to place the order on my phone, just online. And this child just was so upset, just started screaming at me. I don't want you to order pizza. Um, And I think that really they wanted pizza, but they just didn't want me to take the time. You know, it just would take too long. And Um, it's, it's probably proof that like, the child wasn't being extremely logical they just were angry (laughs) and yes exactly you know it's that it's that problem again problem expressing you know with words yes exactly um that is what I was seeing that just that this child wasn't able to express themselves at all uh, themselves um so just other than like the big emotions and so I was close enough to our house that I just stopped in front of our house and I ran inside and I just grabbed a loaf of bread that was on the counter and some peanut butter and jelly. And I ran back out and made a sandwich as quickly as I could and gave it to the child. And um, they took a few bites. And then I just went around to their side of the car and put my arms around them and just said, and I, you know, as a parent, you start feeling frustrated too. Like, Ugh, there's, you know, there's heightened emotion or like, it's a little more tense because you're hearing your child screaming and every, that makes everyone else kind of in distress. And when they're not being logical and the words that they're using aren't what they mean, but you're taking them as full value. (laughs) And you know that you shouldn't take it personally, but sometimes it's hard to not take it personally when you're being screamed at and and if you I know, were there, I probably would have been hangry too. I've got that. Yeah. <laughs> so. I was a little frustrated, but not like getting upset, like yelling, but just like, really? I mean, and even though I know all of these things and I know that they're not giving me a hard time, they're having a hard time and all of that. It just, um, it was a little overwhelming, I think for everyone in the car. So, but I just put my arms around this child and I said, um, here's what I know. I know that you are an amazing kid and uh, even amazing kids, they have bad days. Everyone has bad days. Everyone has rough times and it doesn't mean that they're not amazing or wonderful. Just means that they're having a hard time. And I love you. Even when you have a hard time, I love you when you're not having a hard time, no matter what, I love you. And I'm here with you through this hard time and I'm not mad at you. And we can feel frustrated and still love each other. And it's okay. And just put my arms around the child. And um, I could tell that like they were coming down, kind of like the breathing. We were breathing together and 
the emotions were slowing down a bit, the crying and the anger. And they asked for a blanket, like finished the sandwich, asked for a blanket. They gave it to them. And then they were asleep within literally minutes. And so it just, um, it, this was fresh in my mind. And this was more of like, I guess, what Dr. Green calls emergency plan B, where you're going through with the child and um, right on the spot, you don't get to collaborate ahead of time, which we'll kind of go more into in a few minutes, but you're needing to do it like right in the moment, which isn't the most ideal situation, but it still ended up okay. And I walked away feeling like, okay, that was okay. We, yeah. we got through it. It could have been a lot worse. I've been on the other side of it when oh, yeah. it didn't go like that, you know? So that could have easily just been a 45 minute explosion in my house yeah. if it were handled differently. Yeah. And same at mine. And I could have been yelling and we all could have been in tears and just the negative thoughts could have been spiraling. So I was happy that it turned out the way that it did. And so, and so that's, that. what's interesting to me is this is not only helping your children, but it's helping us more with enjoying motherhood. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. It reminds me, um, as you were talking of, um, one of my kiddos when they were, uh, just barely learning to talk and they would start to throw the like major major meltdown screaming and if I would say something like okay you you can't bring your food over to the couch and um there would be no mom you can't talk and before I got like all of what we've been talking about I would reply with yes I can talk (laughs) and it would just explode from there and it's like this two-year-old like come on (laughs) I'm letting go of my own guilt and I'm I'm trying to not you know hold myself um in a bad place over this but when I I realized that what was going on a little bit more that the child was not using the words that he intended to use that he wasn't expressing himself well um it turned into he when he would scream no mom you can't talk I would say hugs and he would look at me and come over and give me a hug and that's how most of his fits ended for the next like six months he would start to throw up it and I would just say hugs and he'd come or, or grab my hand or put his hand on my head on my hand or it was just oh, I so love different <laughs> um, because <Yeah>. of me. <laughs> well, yeah. And I've definitely been there too, where I'm like starting to get in the argument of no, yeah, yeah, I can, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. back and forth with the child and like, okay, I'm arguing with the two-year-old. Like I need to just go back and <laughs> yeah. So it's, but I, I mean, to hugs. extend that a little bit, we kind of can't see, okay, obviously that two-year-old wasn't saying that I can't talk. But what if it's a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old that's using words inaccurately? That's not really what they mean, but they're just kind of throwing words at you. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I think, I think these are great and applicable examples. Yeah. Um, Moving on for chapters six and seven, Dr. Green delves more into three different ways to handle these unsolved problems. And Ashley talked a little bit about one of the ways, Um, but as a reminder, an unsolved problem, I think he also calls them um, triggers in older editions. And these are just basically 
a situation where challenging behavior occurs. Um, I'm going to reorder them for this podcast because plan C, I feel like it's just easy to talk about and then get it out of the way. Um, plan C is an expectation that eventually does need addressed. It's not something that we want to ignore forever. But for now, we can just kind of drop that expectation because it does bring the challenging behavior and it's not urgent. It's not as urgent to fix or address right now as other examples might be. For example, um, my children, when they get really tired, like when we've driven to my in-laws, they live close to an hour away. And sometimes when we're coming home, it's pretty late and they're, they're just really um, emotionally spent and very um, ready to explode at any second. And so I say, just use the restroom and hop into bed and then we'll go in their bed and brush and floss them. Um, eventually they're going to need to learn to brush their own teeth when they're tired or sometimes even when they're not tired they're like oh can you just brush my teeth while I'm laying in bed and I'm like okay <laughs> eventually they need to learn it but I'm kind of choosing more urgent things for now right and that is what Dr. Green he says focus on you know choose a couple of more urgent things focus on those and just let the others kind of sit there for a while so yeah sometimes you have to do that did you have a did you want to share any plan c examples that you have i can't yeah um so this i guess is also not using plan a i guess so i guess it would be more of plan c um but recently we were at the splash pad um in our neighborhood and my daughter um had a bee on her hand and she told me look mom um bees are my friends they like me so they won't sting me um I can just hold them and they're friendly and so my immediate response was oh no no it's going to sting you you need to put it down and you know you shouldn't hold the bee and I started to tell her that and she was getting really frustrated with me and um I didn't mean to, but I kind of bumped her hand and the bee fell on the ground and she started getting upset about that and picked it up. And, and then I was, I was thinking about this and I'm like, you know, I just need to let her just, I need to step away and just stop trying to impose my will on her with this and just let her do it how she wants to do it with this situation. Cause it's, it's not, I mean, it's kind of a safety issue. She's not allergic to bees, so it's not like she's running out in the street or something, but this is more I could give. give a bee sting's not going to end up yeah. causing her severe problems. Right. Yeah. So she can just learn, however, with this situation. And so I just let her go off and she was holding bees. There were bees around the splash pad. Um, so there were several of them and she and her friend were just holding them. And And then a while later, she came over to me and she was kind of looked a little bit sheepish and said, um, actually a bee stung me. It wasn't the bee I was holding when you told me that it might sting me, but a <laughs> bee stung me. Um, and it was actually a bee that was dead, but she was holding it and just the stinger, I guess, accidentally poked her. Oh. Um, but just thinking about it, if I had been like, no, put it down. It's not okay. I don't care. Just, it's not, an, it's not there's nothing to talk about with us, you know, just put it down. Um, she wouldn't have had the same 
learning experience than if as she did in this situation. Um, and so I think, oh, I oh no, go ahead. I think had you done plan A, she would not have tell you, she would not have told you when she got stung either. Yeah. If you had stuck with, <laughs> this is what I'm telling you and there's no wiggle room. And when she got stung, mm -mm. <laughs> she wouldn't come and let you know when she needed help. Right. Um, so some things you can do that with and obviously others you can't, but um, this was one where I could. So that's, it was fine. It worked out. Oh, and then she still got stung, but it was a learning experience. So, yes. Yeah. And so um, that's a great example. Plan A, uh, as we, we've kind of been talking about. So, plan A is more of the traditional um, way I think that parents in our society tend to handle behavioral problems or things, undesired behavior. Um, in plan A, the adult sees the problem, the adult comes up with a solution, and then the adult enforces it or especially with challenging children we try to enforce it <laughs> and then we really try to enforce it and then we want to make sure that those kids know that we won't be backing down and then oh goodness um but this is um dr green his his words are kind of obvious that he's not thrilled with plan a um this would be things that have like Oh, you get a sticker or you have points or you have check marks for compliance and that there's an adult imposed consequences for the child not doing what the adult sees as the solution for what the adult has identified as the problem. So this is a lot of the adult opposing, imposing their will on the child. Um, he says on page 89, none of us is especially enthusiastic about having someone else's will imposed on us, but most of us have the skills to handle it when it happens. Behaviorally challenging kids don't. Now I totally get where he's coming from and I agree with so much of this, but I did wanna put a little bit of my opinion in here, which is separate from the book. Um, I think behaviorally, behaviorally challenging kids don't in certain situations. I think if we went through the whole day um, of how many times we're actually asking our children to do things and you could say um trying to get them to do our will there's actually a lot of times that they do it without exploding they might be simple but there's actually going to be a lot in that day and i also like even reading this book and going through and oh yeah and this is great and highlighting all the, the spots i have a whiteboard on my refrigerator with check marks on it for one of my kids Every time he does a worksheet for homework, he gets a check mark. <laughs> it helps him focus. Like, so I think if it's working um, for yeah. like people listening to this, you don't have to, if, if having a sticker chart to help your kid potty train is working for you, I don't think you need to stop it just because Dr. Green, you know, down talks plan A a little bit. There's nothing inherently wrong with it um, as long as you know, you're, there's nothing abusive going on, then right. it's fine. And I think his point is, if, yeah, if it works, use it. But a lot of times with behaviorally challenging kids, it you'll see a pattern that it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you see more often than not that it doesn't work. And I can definitely see this in some of my kids where there's just so much pushback. Um, yes that there just has to be another way. And especially with certain constant. things. Yeah. <laughs> yes. With certain things, or it's just constant, like 
back and forth it, it feels like the power struggle where yes. you know when you start to use more of the plan b way it just feels like oh like kind of a relief um mm-hmm. so if you're in that kind of a situation then I think he's saying there, there's a different way to do it that could be more beneficial to you and the child but absolutely if works, you know then don't abandon ship if it's if it's working out so mm-hmm. so yeah. if it's not working which yeah. I think for many listeners there's at least times when you're trying to get your child to do something and it's just it's not turning out the way you hoped and I love this toolbox um ironically I was texting a friend who was having some um she was asking for advice on solving a problem with her husband and I totally suggested this plan b method to her um I think it's great for solving a lot of problems with different people um yeah that's a good point so okay he oh and here's a here's a point before we move on to what plan b is and how we use it another quote from dr green is um page or page 89 when we rewind the tape on the vast majority of challenging episodes with behaviorally challenging kids what we find is an adult using plan a and that one stung because I thought about some of the like major meltdowns and and I really like I don't want to say it was my fault because I'm trying to let go of any of the guilt or self-resentment that I might have but I really do think a lot of it was just me imposing my will with my solution and not really considering the child's perspective enough Yes, that really resonates with me as well. I feel the same. Uh, One of the things that Dr. Green had suggested is keeping track, like a list of um, all of the explosion, like what, what triggered an explosion in Mm -hmm. your child and like keep a list over time. I haven't been so good about writing it down. I, I, that's like on my list to do, but um, I've been, but even kind of being like, more aware of them, I think yes. helps too. And I can see that sometimes like, oh, that definitely set it off. And I was using plan A. So there you go. Yeah. So it's interesting if you start keeping track, even mentally, um, or just, yeah, being more aware of it. Um, you can kind of see patterns. In, yes. And so with plan B, it's more of a proactive way to solve it. It's, um, we've kind of talked about this in other episodes and other times, but it's kind of knowing that a problem would probably come up in a, this situation. So before the situation comes, we get ahead of it and we solve it proactively. But it's not just, I've been doing this for years with parenting, the, you know, pre-solving the problem, but it's a little bit more than that. Um, the parent can still be in charge. So if you're worried that your child is going to run the show, don't worry, you can still be in charge. And In fact, Dr. Green says, and I agree, you'll probably be much more in charge being proactive than you are being reactive because it's going to, you'll keep control of yourself better and you're going to have better results probably. So Ashley, do you want to explain plan B a little bit more? Yeah. So um, Dr. Green talks about how you can really tell, you could, like, you pretty much know what your kids' unsolved problems are because they happen time and time again. So it's pretty easy to get ahead of it. So if your child struggles with homework, they never want to do their homework, you know, that's one of their unsolved problems. If they 
refuse to brush their teeth at bedtime or it's a power struggle every time they just don't want to do it you know that's something that you could sit down and talk with them collaboratively about so you're going to take one of those and he suggests one of the more pressing ones um and then if you're using plan b you are there's got to be two concerns present if it's just you the parent coming and talking to your child and you're the only one with the concern then it's not using plan b that would be more plan a like you have the concern you have the solution um, the child's just sitting there listening to you so with plan b you're going to sit down with the child and say that it is the teeth brushing one um well i think you were going to do you were going to give that example maybe but anyway i won't go into it but i'll just say you there there needs to be two concerns present and you're going to talk through it so do you want me to go through the steps or like the empathy um sure yeah part? if you want to go through the the steps zero through three okay so the zero would be you're gonna select an unsolved problem and then you're going to set up an appointment to meet with your child and i like that um emily pointed out like it really needs to be an appointment uh, so that there's no distractions. You might need to do it on a weekend when your spouse is home so that you can really have that one-on-one -on -one time. And then you're going to start the conversation out um, with empathy. And you're going to say, I know I've noticed, so maybe I've noticed that you don't want to go to this to school in the morning, that you're you don't like school anymore um what's up what's going on and then you're going to wait for the child to uh, share a concern so your concern is the child doesn't want to go to school and then they're going to bring a concern and maybe you'll just get a surface concern at first like um school is boring and then you you want the second step is to define the problem and you really need to dig deeper and he calls this drilling and it's different than grill grilling you're not going to grill the child but you're going to drill just like try to find kind of peel back the layers of okay so school is boring um what about it it's boring um is there anything else or and you want to restate um i guess with the empathy you feel that school is boring um is and you don't want to start to challenge their ideas. This is where you you let yes. them say any like, come on, school's not boring. Uh, you lost them there. You're no longer I, being empathetic and defining the problem. And honestly, this is hard for me to like stay in the empathy mode because I just I have a lot going on. And also my brain, like I'm just kind of jumping ahead and I just want to resolve it. And mm -hmm. so this is kind of a struggle for me to just stay in the empathy and okay. So let's, so school feels boring to you. Tell me more about it. Um, is there anything else that bothers you about school? And it can take a while to, you know, find out what else. Um, I just did this recently with a child, with one of my children. And um, they ended up, it started with the boring. Um, and then it ended up going to some of the kids aren't nice and I feel like they say 
mean things to me or they don't want to be around me or Mm. they want to play games but not with me and this other person but only with each other or when this other person and I read several chapter books you know in a short time then they make fun of us just it ended up being more of like a social dynamic at school and so it started out as boring and then it went to that then we were able to talk about that okay so you feel like kids at school are mean to you um and then the invitation is well I'm sorry I'm going to really quick just compliment you on that hedge you just been jumped okay school is boring and then giving them a lecture on how to make school more interesting and that we're responsible for our own emotions and things that are true but like just jumped straight to that solution you wouldn't have actually gotten to the very root which had nothing to do with it being boring it had to do with some social concerns right exactly um and this child is also a bit of a perfectionist and we talked a little bit about how some things are becoming a little more challenging and hmm. they kind of struggle with that because they're used to being able to just conquer it very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, although the focus from the child was much more on the social dynamic, but yes, um, it got a lot more out of it than had I just said in passing, what's up? Why don't you like school? okay, it's boring. Well, it's almost over, you know, like (laughs) we got a lot more out of it and I was able to talk through it with them. And then, okay. So you feel that, um, kids aren't nice to you. You feel bad about that. It's making you feel like you don't want to be around them at school. Um, however, you know, you need to go to school. So what can we do? to um, solve the problem together? How can we make it work so that you can go to school, but you can feel more comfortable at school? Um, And there wasn't a definite resolution and everything was perfect. It was more like, I don't really know, but I'll go to school. Okay, I'll go to school. It was more of like, okay, I get it. I know it's important. I have to go. Um, There was more compliance, Mm -hmm. whereas there had been... um, I'm not going, I don't want to go. I just, you know, digging in the heels and for a long, for quite a while, it was, I have a stomach ache, but that wouldn't be said until like an hour after, come on, you need to get ready and just dragging their feet and like not wanting to do it. And then Mm. the stomach ache conversation would come up. And so there was more compliance after this conversation. Um, I, that's about as far as we got and it could have gone further, but it, at least it's something. Um, that is. And Dr. Green says, and I really appreciated him saying that you might not solve the problem on the first go, <laughs> but yes. yeah, but you know, you're chiseling away at it and it's, it's better than it was. You might need to revisit that problem multiple times. Um, For but, sure. I think we will continue it. Yeah. But um, it's that progress over, over perfection mindset that we work to, to, try to keep on our minds okay wonderful and um so we have that's plan b in a nutshell you have empathy and not just the empathy that i tend to use with my preschoolers like i can see it's hard for you to clean up right now but more try to really understand try to get as deep as you can what exactly 
why why is this a challenging time for your child? And then define the problem to them. So um, you kind of state back their problem and then, or their concern, and then you state your concern. Then that final one, we have the invitation step where you invite them to come up with a solution. Um, and like Ashley said, we have two forms of plan B. We have an emergency plan B when you're already in the midst of the meltdown or the explosion or whatever challenging behavior. And then we have proactive plan B, which is preferred, but not, you know, always possible in real life and proactive plan B where we set up the appointment and we try to get ahead of it if we can. Um, but I mean, I, proactive plan B might be better, but in real life, we're gonna have a lot of emergency plan B and it's, it's a really good tool to pull out when there's an explosion going on, especially if like Ashley and I, you have a lot of other kids in your house too. <laughs> I was just thinking that exact thing. Yeah, and it's hard when they all have numerous unsolved problems too. <laughs> Yes. you know just addressing all of them it can be a challenge so so give yourself some grace too but absolutely okay i wanted to talk a little bit about the lower and the upper brain um i think this is really important to mention um as we're um thinking about these plans <clears throat> excuse me with our kids so the low the I like how um, Dr. Dan Siegel and Dr. Tina Bryson in their book, The Whole Brain Child, they have an analogy that they use. Um, and it is, they say to picture the brain like a house. So the downstairs or the amygdala um, is where the important things live, like basic functions. There's gonna be breathing, um, strong emotions, those automatic reactions to danger. So the fight, flight, or freeze. And they say to picture it like the downstairs of a house where we usually find the basics. Like if you're picturing a two-story house, um, usually the kitchen, living room, bathroom is gonna be down there, just basic stuff. And then the upstairs brain is a little more complex. This is where there's going to be um, the thinking, the imagining, the planning, um, critical thinking, problem solving, making good decisions. And the upstairs, the frontal cortex, that's not going to be fully developed until you're in your mid twenties. Um, but it's so the amygdala, crazy that you're an adult and your brain is still anyways. Sorry. Yeah, I know <laughs> that is it's crazy. Um, so the down, the, um, downstairs are the amygdala part. Like I said, it was, it's the fight, flight, or freeze. So it's there to protect you. If there was a tiger in front of you that's ready to attack you, that part of your brain is going to kick in and flood your body full of adrenaline. And um, so that you can have the strength and just be able to run really fast and protect yourself as much as you can. Um, and there's not, our kids, when their amygdala is kicking into gear, there's not a tiger in front of them. It might be their sibling teasing them and they feel really frustrated and upset about that. And it's still the same reaction. Um, they might get really angry and want to fight with the same adrenaline feeling, even though there's not the tiger there. Um, 
So just being aware that that's what's going on in the brain and it's a real thing. And, and it took me a while. Oh yeah, go ahead. It took me a while to realize that logic is usually turned off when someone is in their lower brain. Um, Even my really, really um, intelligent children that I've worked with, they're not being logical at that point in time. They're fighting, right? Exploding, hitting, screaming, or they're flighting, they're running to their room, they're trying to hide behind the couch, they're putting a blanket over their head, or they're freezing where they implode and they completely shut off. Like their logic doesn't actually help when they're in those situations. Right, yeah, it doesn't. Um, So it is, it's good to have that in mind just to go into it with that perspective. And again, it's, the thought of kids do well when they can, when they're flooded with this emotion, when they're just using that part of their brain, they're not going to be able to do well and they're not doing it intentionally. Um, but they need help in that time. So that's a good time to, if you're doing breathing exercises with them, um, talking in a calm way, just trying to bring them down, um, so that they can use that upper part of their brain again, um, and think logically. And you can see it in kids. You can see it when it switches back. Um, They're just more calm, like my child with the pizza incident. And they were just, they came back and um, all of that, the big emotion and that amygdala part um, was not in control anymore. So it is interesting to see. Um, There was an example Dr. Green gave, and I was listening to the older version um, for a while. And I lost my copy of the book. And I don't think this example is in the newer versions, but um, he gave the example of a family who went to Disneyland and they were having a really great time and it was time to leave at the end of the day. Everything had gone pretty well. The son um, saw, they went through the gates and the gates were closed. And then this, the boy saw cotton candy that was on the inside of the park, like right by the gate. And he wanted the cotton candy and he was just like completely inflexible about the cotton candy and was starting to melt down. And the parents were exchanging glances. And I mean, he couldn't have the cotton candy. They couldn't talk logically to him. He was already in that amygdala part, using the amygdala part of the brain was kind of taking over. Um, And so they decided quickly that they would do Um, an emergency plan B with him and just talked with him about, okay, um, we can't have cotton candy because it's behind the gate. The park is closed. However, um, we're going to go back to our hotel and we're going to have dinner there. But on the way, you know, we could stop. We saw this place and we could just grab a little snack on the way home and have it um, to kind of tide you over. And we know you like whatever it was, French fries or, you know, a good little snack to have. And then we can go to the hotel and we'll have a, a dinner together there. And um, they were able to appease him, you know, I guess in the manner of speaking, just with, okay, it can't be the cotton candy. We can't sit down and talk logically. Really, he's not in that mental space right now. Uh-huh. With, um, But we can do this, get this really quickly. And then head back to the hotel. And, um, so that's what they did. And, and it worked out in their situation. Um, and me of six years ago as a mother, I had that been my child in that situation. I would have been so angry with my child. And I would have said, look, we just 
brought you all the way here to Disneyland and we spent these hundreds of dollars on you and and all you're going to do is melt down over cotton can't like oh totally I would have yeah. taken it so personally and been so angry and then then we would have just had this big scene in front of Disneyland and I would have been upset and my child would have been upset and anyways this case um maybe me of six years ago might not have understood why you would take a kid who's borderline melting down and say oh let's go get you french fries but (laughs) me of today I'm like high five mama you've got this (laughs) I know even reading it I was like wait wait they're going to get him french fries but you know I totally get and I I did this with my own kid not long ago um I don't remember if I shared it in the last episode. I may have, Um, but I've done that kind of thing where I've just had to act in the moment and you can see that it's starting, the explosion is starting and okay, we're gonna make a quick, how how would this sound? And then you, the ideal is to, okay, another time when they're calm, you're gonna talk through it. Okay, so I noticed that that was a difficult thing. Um, What could we do next time we're in that situation or, you know, then you're going to do plan B with them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have to do the emergency plan B. Um, yeah, because they're not going to think logically. They're they're stuck yeah. in that fight, flight or freeze. And it's it's just not going to happen. <laughs> like it would be ideal. Sure. But let's let's be real here. Right? It's just not going right. to happen. And you and I think it's Dr. Green says sometimes you have to be your child's frontal cortex for them. Like you have to be the one who's calm and kind of guiding them through um, when they aren't able to be. So I think you shared that with me once uh, a while ago when I was having a hard time. I said, what thoughts do you say to yourself to, to help you in hard times? And I, I remember that was one of them. I can be my child's frontal cortex right now. Yeah, it can so. be helpful. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you for um all of those thoughts. I'm going to quickly go through just to recover plan B a little bit one more time. So first you select your unsolved problem. And I'm going to take a really, really simple example that probably a lot of people struggle with. It's probably not an urgent one, but it's just simple to, to go through the process. Difficulty brushing teeth before bed would be the unsolved problem. Step one, empathy. So you go to your child and you try to remain as neutral as possible. We're not playing any blame game here, right? And you say, maybe I've noticed there is difficulty with brushing your teeth at night. What's up? And you let them say anything and we're not gonna argue with them or whatever. Child, I don't like it. Parent, we're not arguing or saying, what do you mean you don't like it? We're just repeating it back. You don't like it. I don't understand. What don't you like? And then child might hear say, I don't like the taste of the toothpaste. And then if you're like me, you want to like jump in and be like, well, then let's just get you another toothpaste, of course. But no, no, resist the urge (laughs) because your child has to learn to problem solve for their own lagging skills or they're going to not be able to develop that, not just the overcoming the lagging skill of dealing with toothpaste that they don't like, but bridging from, okay, I don't like the toothpaste. And so what now? They need to develop that skill. And if we jump in with a solution where we're not letting them practice. So step two, you define the problem. This is where we repeat the child's concern and then add yours. So repeat the child's problem. Okay, you don't like the taste of toothpaste. 
then state your problem. The thing is, I love that phrase he gives me, and I'm, I'm going to use it a lot. The thing is, if you don't brush your teeth at night, you will probably get cavities. Then step three, we put it all together and we invite them. Let's think about how we can solve this problem or let's think about how we can work that one out. Hmm. I wonder if there's a way. So start with that phrase. I think I'm going to start with that every time. I wonder if there's a way to kids concern plus adults concern. So I wonder if there's a way for us to help you brush your teeth without dealing with the taste of toothpaste. Hmm. And still brush your teeth at night. Do you have any ideas? And again, there's a good chance it won't go well the first time, but <laughs> as you and your child practice, your child will probably come to see, wow, my, my mom really does trust that I can come up with a solution, or she really does want to hear what I've had to say, even if we haven't for years, it's, it's fine, right? And um, chances are, my, your kid can maybe probably say, well, maybe a different flavor and maybe they won't but let's let's give them the chance and you know don't be so quick to jump in on that solution it's going to be so hard for me <laughs> i'm not lying oh, it's going to be hard. hard i i really love though that you said that it gives that your child can see that you will trust can trust them with coming up with the solution i think that's huge um that will be really huge in my family so and it's probably not going to go well the first time and maybe not the second or third, but doesn't mean we need to give up. Um, Dr. Green has a few more chapters we'll go through where he offers advice for when it doesn't quite go ideally. And plus, you know, for us, Ashley and I say this all the time, um, the progress over perfection idea that a little bit better, even 1% better is much better than 0% better. So keeping that growth mindset, I think, can help us get through when it's not ideal yet but we're on our way there right and i do want to point out that um dr green does say that the only downside to plan b is that um initially at least it's hard to do because or it can be hard to do just because we haven't had practice with it and it's not the way that we're used to maybe approaching it with our child mm -hmm. so just Again, give yourself some grace. Know that it is going to take some practice. Um, I'm kind of stumbling through it. Like I gave the example earlier with my child about school and, you know, it, it didn't go perfectly, but it was better than it was. And I think the more we practice it, the easier it will get or we'll get more confident, more comfortable with it. So just Absolutely. hang in there with it. Yes. And I love what we keep saying over and over and give yourself some grace. I know it's sure it's going to be better if we write down every single lagging skill and every single unsolved problem. And if we sit down with every single child and try to solve two of these with each child, but we have a lot going on in our lives. And so I think keeping that mindset for ourselves of I'm just going to be working on this and heading in the direction that I want to be going. It doesn't have to be perfect instantly. And I'm going to cut myself some grace for doing just what I can. Yes, absolutely. I love that. 
Okay, well, thank you for your time, Ashley, and thank you for everyone else that is listening. We love comments. So if you haven't left us a review or written some comments on the podcast, we really love feedback. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. Definitely. All right. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Emily. Bye. Bye.